welcome everybody to another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, Robert Donez Jr., my regular co-host, would have gone, Innovation Crush, but he's not here. <laughs> um, but Tamika's here. You could have told you, me. No, no, you want to try it? Look, innovation Crush. Innovation Crush. Oh, wow. Nice. Robert might have just got fired. <laughs> uh, Tamika, who are you? Why are you here? I am a former journalist and analyst, and now I'm a content consultant, and I love video games and all sorts of cool things like media. And my Twitter handle is at GeekyChic. Great. Are you having a good time on uh, on Innovation Crush This today? is an awesome show. Thank it's, you. It's amazing. I want to just take that sound bite and <laughs> send it out to the masses. Um, so she's my lovely guest co-host today. Uh, and lovely. Come small world, <laughs> you actually know our guest here. You, you tell me who you are and tell the people who you are, because I'm, I'm horrible at introductions, but I'm good at conversation. No problem. I love it. My name is Dougie Campbell. Uh, I am uh, the founder of an organization called Project Fresh, the idea twisting together all sorts of things to create unique uh, productions, creations, experiences, events. Um, and that's why I'm so happy to be here to talk with you crazy fools. And I know Tamika from <laughs> a long time ago, I think the early days of the tech community in L.A., long before Silicon Beach. Yeah. I mean, there was Silicon, there was a beach, but there was an early, early <laughs> There was Silicon, there was a beach, but there was no Silicon <laughs> Beach. And Burning Man, among other things. Yeah. Have you been to Burning Man? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm, I feel like the you odd went, man out on this you one. You went to Summit, and I didn't get to go to Summit. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There were no drugs at, at Summit. I couldn't do anything. <laughs> that's not what I... Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so tell, um, tell us a little bit about Project Fresh, because, you know... I, that's usually how I dress. Yeah, um, exactly. Fresh from the projects. Um, but for you, it means something completely different. So, you know, it, it is kind of a hub for your mind, if you will. But you give us sort of the background on why you created it and, and some of the, the products that have come out of Project Fresh. Sure. The, uh, the basic background is, I mean, ever since I was little, I don't know what it was, but I just could not be contained by existing frameworks. You know, uh, it was, I was just naturally always curious about who was making these frameworks, why they think they were so good, why I should be a part of it. You know, in fact, maybe I thought it could do something a little bit differently, just naturally. I mean, even right. when I, my mom gave me my early boxes of Lego, I remember I would never follow the directions. I would never actually make the thing on the box. I would make these other things. I mean, from like an early age, like five, you know, right. so it's like boiled into my character from a, from a young age. And, uh, and then Where do you think that came from? Like, was that you think it was just a natural inclination, or you know, was there some some experience that you like? You know? She was really very creative, a real Renaissance woman. Uh, she loved everything from sculpture to art to painting to writing, um, and very Italian, very like uh, passionate about creation. And so she gave me a lot of opportunity to experience that. Right. Uh, and from an early age, I went to um, school in first in the United States, in Washington, D.C., and then I was moved to England for 10 years into English boarding schools, very much like What'd Hogwarts. What'd you do? Yeah, seriously. I was <laughs> mischievous, but nothing to deserve 10 years of English boarding school. Let me tell you, that was intense. Anything you For see, somebody who doesn't like constructs. I know. Tell me about it. This was the ultimate battle of will. Like right. This was the old English system, big stone buildings, Latin books, teachers with capes and mortar board hats, you know, and right. caning had just been outlawed a few years before <laughs> I got there. I mean, it was serious, you know, and it was the ultimate attempt to assimilate me, and uh, ultimately it did not do very well. Probably did the exact opposite. It absolutely did. And then soon after that, uh, I decided to return to the States, and I went to Rhode Island School of Design, right? RISD. So RISD. So as you can imagine, and that's where like all the most creative, crazy characters in their high school, you know, they were the odd ones out. They all suddenly were now all put together in this right. school that encouraged. So if you can imagine going 10 years of English boarding school to 
Rhode Island School of Design where they would judge you poorly if you weren't as crazy as you could be or as out there as, you know, if you couldn't generate the most out there ideas. And so I think that early sort of twist instilled in me the fundamental concept of twisting things together, like that ability to have some foundation, but then also very lateral thinking, very out of the box thinking, to use the existing and then to add a spice uh, and to create something new. I think that's the pattern that I've observed throughout all of my uh, projects ever since. So give me give me an example. Like, what's kind of like your you feel is like a crown jewel? I have one in <laughs> mind, but I want I want to hear what what yours is, and then we'll compare notes. Okay, so I would say, and a lot of this again was from before I could really define what I was doing. It was just an intuition that I had to do uh, a lot of these things, and I didn't like you know I wanted to do them differently. So. Uh, early, an early adventure was, um, or an early project was something called the Tuxedo Travels, and that was uh, inspired in conversations with me and this really zany English guy who called me at like four in the morning U.S. time, be like, Doug, I've got this crazy idea. No one will join me. I want to wear tuxedos around the world. <laughs> was it James Bond? Yeah, not, not, not so clever. <laughs> wonderfully beautiful guy uh, who had this idea. And so I said, that sounds, and he's like, you know, no one's crazy enough to do this with me, but I thought you might be. And so I thought about it for a little bit, and I said, listen, I would love to do it, but I think what we should do is do it for a charitable cause. So he just wanted to do it just just because. (laughs) Just because. Good. Okay. (laughs) Right. And so I thought, you know, I love it, but I don't want to just be a fool romping around the globe in a tuxedo. I want to be a fool romping around the globe in a tuxedo for a good cause, you know. And uh, it was an early example of two things combined. Some really wild uh, adventure, public improv stunt meets a really charitable uh, end goal. Uh, in which it really did benefit both because it created more exposure to the cause that we were fighting for. Right, which um, was what? Which was actually very location-specific. We had people, we did a lot of online videos. This was pre-Facebook, really. We just shared a lot, or just as it was launching, we shared a lot through our channels and our mailing lists and got people to donate um, via PayPal. And then we would take the money directly out on our PayPal ATM card wherever we were, Kyrgyzstan, you know, India, uh, Poland, and um, we would find causes in that immediate community. That's really awesome. Which is neat. And 100% of the money, uh, it was our fun adventure, but 100% of the money we were able to then really give firsthand and see what the community in these places needed. Um, so on that side, it was really good. But then on the adventure side, uh, it allowed us to get away with more than ever. Because I remember being in Kyrgyzstan, and this guy, Heath Buck was his name, my, my buddy on the project, love to just get naked at the drop of a hat. Suddenly it'd be like, okay, Heath's got no clothes. I'm glad he's not here now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Heath's got no clothes again. All he's wearing is a bow tie and he's like running through a fountain in like, you know, Kyrgyzstan. And, you know, these big security guards come up and they're like, your friend, what he is doing in fountain? Oh, no, this is a, I'm from the U.S., he's from England. This is a charity project. We're helping Kyrgyz school children. And after a minute, they'd be like, hmm, you are a good man. Thank you. You know, and it's like we would get away with all this craziness right. because of the good cause. So the two really uh, benefited from each other's, um, you know, inclusion. So what, from a practical standpoint, right? Like it, it sounds uh, awesome to put on a tuxedo and leave everything behind for how long were you guys? Like, six months or so, so. So for six months. Um, <laughs> not everybody only, can do only that. one tuxedo. <laughs> right, you just shared it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, a Siamese twin tuxedo. Let's both get in the tuxedo. Um, <laughs> no, so 
what were you doing prior to that that afforded you the six months of travel or was it all donation based? Mm-hmm. You know, where where did the funding and, you know, just the sort of practical living part of that come Good from? Good question. So after I graduated from Rhode Island School of Design, I started to do a lot of artist portfolio websites. I saw a real need for these creatives in, uh, to be able to tell their story. Like the, that was what they were really missing. Their artwork, their creations were amazing, but um, they didn't have the technical skill nor the understanding of how important narrative is in right. an artist's, uh, you know, uh, the perception of an artist's uh, value, that story. And so I really helped them uh, do that. I ended up having a bunch of um, projects that were giving me some residual income through my assistance, uh, you know, hosting and putting things online. And so I got into a little bit more web stuff and um, I did some usability. Right. Uh, it was really fun just to think about sitting behind a one-way mirror watching people use uh, websites and start to have to figure out like where the challenges are you know um, this idea of like uh, the usability was really exciting to me so I had a little bit of money saved up and I was ready for an adventure um, I had started a few I had started an early thing in 2005 I went to the TED conference it was my first year ever going there and and it was my first year going to Burning Man. So it was like <laughs> your crazy, mind was blown the yeah, whole year. Big time blown. And so I got back to LA and I'd always been very bored with the typical bar scene and the typical uh, activities that a lot of us uh, really had at our you know disposal. To do you do. come back from that experience depressed? Like when you you go to TED, right? You hear like these big, oh my you know, God. These big World ideas. Then stuff. you go to Burning Man and it's just like the the creative version oh of that. Oh my God, yeah. Right? And then and then you come back to like... A lot of people at bars know. drinking, trying to forget their day. Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's... I mean, that's a big generalization. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of the people that we hung out with early days, me, Tamika, and all of our friends, you know, they were very excited about their jobs. But I saw as a greater cultural thing happening, a lot of people uh, using content experiences to sort of forget what they did during the day or to escape from it and what everything I'd experienced at Burning Man and Ted were people so excited about talking about what they were doing and how they could do things together you right. know and so that's when I uh, created the earliest, ver- earliest version of Mindshare just a party at my loft bringing very diverse people together yeah. to share what they were passionate about. You know, what's yeah. really ironic is that it, just in my mind before you and I even met, I, anytime I saw Mindshare, I, that was kind of the thing in my head. My two reference point, I was go, I was like, it's like Burning Man meets Ted. <laughs> like I literally would just say that to people, you know. Um, so I was I was plugging you before you even knew me, <laughs> Thanks, and man. accurately. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, so, I think it's interesting though, like what you said about, and I, I'm going to see if we can tie this to innovation, mm-hmm. but um, about people sort of going to the bar after work to forget about what they do, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of let go of their day. But then you have these groups of people who, and I think, I don't know if this is unique to tech, but I feel like in our space, people want to talk about the things that they're doing, right. maybe just not in a work setting. And so creating a place for that to happen where you get inspired and you can geek out about tech and you can geek out about ads and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you fill the void in the market, which as we've you know talked about is innovation, right? right. Like, like filling figuring out how to give people what they need in a space where they haven't had it. Right, and I think also that delivery of, of what it is that you're creating that you think is valuable is so important. And I think that's what I've at least defined as my value, the value of my projects, um, and what I've done is the sort of combining of the unexpected as a means to create something very new. So um, with the Tuxedo Travels is a funny example. That was charity meets adventure, mm-hmm. right? Um that was altruism meets kind of social improv, you know, that's sort of twisting together. So similarly, you know, Mindshare and why I thought it was very valuable and definitely inspired from Ted and Burning Man and these things where uh, there was so much innovation, there's so much innovation happening in both of those forums. 
uh, with Mindshare, the idea was, is this a lecture series or mm. is this a party? Um, you know, and a lot of times people would come for one or the other and then the other one that they hadn't come for would inspire them. Like if they were more into like going to lecture series, then afterwards with all the sort of fun going on, they would kind of be, mm, you know, inspired, made a little more alive. Whereas if they're more used to coming to things for the party vibe, they were like, yeah, I just went to this uh, crazy party, but more before I knew it, I was learning something from like a right. neuroscientist. You know, so <laughs> the idea is you combine those unexpected things. So along those lines, like, just give us some examples, right? From from Mindshare, mm-hmm. you know, because um, it does. I mean, it, it, another example that comes to mind for me along those lines is meshing things that don't match per, in everyday living is chess boxing, right? <laughs> which was one that I saw in an email list recently. It's just like, and in my mind, I get this vaudevillian scene of kind of like, um, uh, was Robert Downey Jr. in, in uh, Sherlock Holmes uh-huh. when he's in right. these underground fights and it's like bare knuckle brawls. Um, so just kind of walk us through a few examples of what we would experience at a Mindshare event. Great, great question. So, First of all, I'll just say that like uh, chess boxing is a great example, and it's really the creation of my friend Andrew McGregor, who would be awesome on this show because he is truly a man that's just you know innovation is bubble. Every time I see him, he's got some crazy new scheme working on you know. So he uh, he actually had come up with that, or at least he was a big force behind its uh, really early push. It's still early. So you got to play chess one day, and he just punched you in the face. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a, you know he's a real he's a giant. He's like six eight. I don't know. Yes. He's like seven oh feet tall. He's also yes, a, a chess genius, you know. So, so there's a very a perfect example of someone combining it in themselves, like the idea of innovation, like right. the Leonardo effect. It's both art and science, or you know, um, Buckminster Fuller. These people that combine it, this, these innovative types, you know. So, but uh, okay, so that's a one example. I just wanted to give credit to him because uh, that was not my. Idea. No, it's great. No, I'm just saying, but that's, it's an association with exactly. the mindshare. This is the kind of experience there. you would find there. Right. Yeah. People look for us to create unique things mm-hmm. like that. A lot of. Um, the things that inspired us, especially in the early days, besides just getting smart people together and uh, getting it into a fun atmosphere, we'd play games. You know, there'd be, uh, and sometimes we've used, uh, uh, you know, the attendee data to create interesting experiences for the interactive space, whether it's with technology or through a badge game. You know, a lot of the early days, the we had gathered some really creative uh, hackers and techie types to sort of hang out regularly at a bar with sort of our more artistic and designer creative types and come up with like games and fun projects for these mindshare events and honestly early days they were as silly as like you know there was a chart on the wall a very scientific chart with graphs and sort of spectrum of sound sort of something was happening and being measured in the space and it was like what in the space could this be measuring like what were the sensors and no one knew and everyone was guessing what this could be all it was was we hidden a microphone in each bathroom and it was just counting how many of the two bathrooms was experiencing more flushes over the course of the hours. Right? So it was like very not, you know, nothing was right. at all functional behind it. It was just a fun use of, of technology. It kind of created a silly story. But then it got to... The toilet a, graph. Right, exactly. You know, we tried to, you know, have run it as a startup. It didn't work. There was less of a market than we were expecting. But, um, no. <laughs> exactly. Some of the things... These are going to be in every mall in America. <laughs> some of the things were really interesting, though. Right. Like, uh, some of, like, our, our creative characters came up with a, a, an interactive game called Cloud Mirror that Eric Grabman was behind and could read a fiducial on your badge. And then it associated you with your unique attendee ID <laughs> that connected with your Facebook account. And then it could say things. It could pull whatever it wanted. In particular, it could be like, you could go up to it 
people could see you, you know, you going up to it and a, a thought bubble kind of came from your head and it said, you know, my Facebook, uh, you know, my Facebook account says that I'm single, you know, or right. says that I'm available, whatever it was, or like says it's complicated and you'd be like, what, what the hell? How? But it was an idea. Not only was it fun, there was a lot of functional stuff behind it, but it was a great opportunity to. Uh, get people to question that uh, interaction that they have with. Did technology. that have an appearance at Sundance a few years yeah, ago? Exactly. I, I was there that year, and I did that. I stood in front, and it was really weird because mm-hmm. you stand in front of like a screen. There's a camera on you, and your Facebook right. status pops up as a as a bubble. Right. So perfect example. So some things like the toilet graph don't go really don't get big uh, and better and adopted by Sundance. Other things like the cloud mirror. That's what they want to see. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, that brings you to a good point in terms of the practicality of creativity, right? Mm-hmm. Where, yes, there's these novel things. We were talking earlier on, a, on another show uh, about Snapchat, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of like, it's it's cool. It kind of fills a weird need. Like, you don't want your junk pictures staying on <laughs> other people's phones, you know, especially me. Um, but no, but, and then you have these kind of like, let's have some fun and then give people an experience. Is there a thought to build those as businesses mm-hmm. or you know or is it just kind of like let's just have fun and if something happens it happens and if not it, it, it we're not worried about it right, that's a really great question i think that so many very so many innovative authentically truly useful products emerge as the tools that companies developed to help them with something you know base camp uh, 37 signals is a perfect example of mm-hmm. developing tools that they actually needed in company to run their stuff and then they realize hey this is so useful wrap it up and, and market it right so uh, in the world of uh, events and experiences there is so much there's such an opportunity to do that to date we've often highlighted um, technologies that you know often let us use their platform for free or like you know do some sort of beneficial thing maybe sponsor us a little bit um, and so we don't actually have to develop the um, social media wall we can just work with the person but they can really benefit from Mindshare as a very, very like open-minded, um, willing-to-experiment group, even if everything does. I mean, there's been projects that totally didn't work on show night, you know, Mindshare, but it was like, <laughs> yeah. But we, even in that, it's, it's been, it's, it's, we've developed, luckily, <laughs> we've developed a community that is understanding enough to know that, yeah, we're trying out new things, we're testing grounds. We just had this whole interactive voting thing um, go down for our last event, uh, and the entire event success was based upon uh, people being able to get online and service enough to d- vote and to bring people. It was kind of like our, our own little American Idol. People went forward to the next round, um, very untested. And up, you know, and I only have so many limited people helping me and limited uh, budget to put towards technologies and things with, with minimal sponsorship and running this really largely as a side thing. That I was like, I kind of hope this works. But luckily, there we were, like. And like tallying on Google Docs, like our thing, and like, <laughs> it worked, and it was awesome. Yeah. Right. But then to 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 sort of Chris's point, I mm-hmm. think you can look at something like a TED, right? Yeah. Which is which came together because they ideas worth spreading, right? And that's mm-hmm. the most amazing tagline ever. But it's also ideas you will pay ten thousand dollars to go and see, right. right? And that's one of the differences I do think with Mindshare is that mm-hmm. you have not either you have not chosen to or haven't found the complete right way to monetize mm-hmm. it, and is that because you want it to stay sort of organic and and 
you know, and sort of grassrootsy and feel like that? Or is it, do you feel like, you know, Mindshare is going to be something that you could franchise to another city? Or, like, is it something that you want to be this side project or do you want to grow it into a... Good question. Business? I mean, it comes back to, again, like to the Lego, not following the rules, mm-hmm. you know, and just going by intuition, building something that you just want to build. Mm-hmm. And then looking at it and thinking, okay, now how is this useful? And, and truly, like, that, as I've entered my 30s and I'm feeling far more mature with things, you know, like... <laughs> I'm, you have um, a beard now. I, got, I, got a, I can grow a beard and all that kind of mature stuff. <laughs> um, put both my shoes on. Time, you know, this is like, this is an t- exciting time of life. I yeah. feel very powerful. Um, but truly, you can see patterns, uh, and this is what's been fascinating. I can see what really is my driving force behind a lot of this stuff. And then I can understand how to grow it without sacrificing the core of right. it. And that's what I've always, was in my younger years, very aware of, I didn't want to do with Mindshare. It was not trying to compete with Ted in terms of getting mm-hmm. online videos. You know, if you want really solid, reliable content, um, Innovation crush. <laughs> right. There's a variety of online sources <laughs> providing this now. I was um, very uh, keen on staying true to that in-person experience. Because mm-hmm. yep. I've had the experience before of some of my some of the results of my creations and some of the things I've been, been involved in getting many millions of views. But we have talked about it a lot. Um, even in Sin Labs, you know, what, what happened with the, what emerged from Mindshare was Mindshare Labs, uh, very creative collective that did all these fun interactive things for events and then went on to Synlabs which did big stunts uh, you know like uh, a lot of the founding members were became part of Synlabs um, and you know worked on things like the Rube Goldberg machine together getting them 50 million views and it was right. very interesting and the OK Go video which I stumbled across yeah. that's the across. one I'm talking about yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. so but that's a great example of we talked about it it's like yeah it's one thing for someone to get 50 million views it's another thing just to see a few people wide-eyed mm-hmm. being blown away by your in-person experiences that you create well that's the that's the whole i mean this idea we we riffed on a little bit earlier was kind of you know the idea of the disconnect mm-hmm. that the digital experience mm-hmm. kind of brings to you know an interaction right or to life right and you know it's impo- like that's why i like to have people in studio on this show, right? Absolutely. This is an entirely different exchange than if me listening to you on Skype, which we get good information that way too. But then you've got like, it's just, you're one degree removed from like awe, right? Right, exactly. Um, or yeah. true awe. And I think that's, it's mind share to me, like I, and just what you do in general is like the spectacle of it all. Mm-hmm. Like there's, you, you, you're removed from the spectacle when you're watching the video. You are. Your your senses are. You're watching. You're experiencing. You know, quite possibly the same content, but through a filter that removes a bunch of senses. You know, from right. that impersonal experience. It's just even down to a podcast, just audio. Um, and not to sh- say that I get unbelievable value from the podcast I listen to, and I'm so happy to to be you know here on this one. It's a very exciting experience for me. Keep digging the hole, but right, but the, uh, <laughs> no, just- <laughs> but actually to wrap it back is I've finally started to realize where I would love actually to get into more podcasts and more video content mm-hmm. because I now see the ability to have it be part of a picture that also still includes that impersonal mm-hmm. experience. Right. And that's what I'm very excited mm-hmm. about beginning to explore this year is, and while I'm keeping Mindshare going, and it's a very fun forum to continue to meet people and test things, test technologies, test new ways of using uh, fun, interactive things in the Toilets. event. Yeah, whatever it is. Um, actually also bridging the gap, because then you are hitting people on a very impersonal level in the, in the in-person experiences, and then all the way to a very widespread possibility for online video, online content, online audio, 
um, you can hit a wide audience. Right. And so then you have it all, you know, in, in, a, in a way. Speaking of segues, <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, no. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> Speaking of segues, no, actually, when you when you say, like, kind of growing it up, right, when you, you mentioned sponsors earlier right. and having to translate what you do into, like, real, you know, value mm-hmm. for a business or a person or even for yourself now, um, like, A, how do, what's the art of the pitch when you right. tell somebody, like, about your sort of creative vision on something? And I know chess boxing isn't your thing, but right. you have to explain that and you want to go talk to, I don't know, Tom Shoes to sponsor right. this. Right. It's like, <laughs> we're doing what? And, you know, because a, a lot of, we were joking earlier mm-hmm. you know, before we started recording, it was just like, you do what? And I'm sure there's a degree of that that happens, so you have to be sort of the translator. Man, yes. This is the big, this is the big question I think about a lot, actually. I mean, it's one thing to create something innovative and I, I believe you know we can totally talk about that how you how you create new and unique ideas a lot of it I think is just this com- combination of existing things to create something new um, giving it enough space to grow see what happens seeing, being flexible with the outcome so it's one thing to create something innovative um, it's another thing to be able to communicate that value to your audience mm-hmm. to your team uh, to the people that are going to fund it most importantly mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um, because it's one thing to have a charismatic person that has the idea when they're there in person that they can sh- they can wrap you into their vision and you're like all excited about it, but it needs to speak beyond that because there's going to be times inevitably most of the time actually where the decision ma- you are not in front of the last decision maker, and what you've created needs to speak independently of your excitement and charisma and smoothness. You know? Right. Uh, and that's that all comes down. And so I think about this a lot because I face this challenge in a variety of ways and not just appealing to those with um, the, the, those that might be interested in funding or backing or supporting. Um, but also on the other side, those that would be interested in showcasing their work. But then, wait, is, is Mindshare now commercializing the way they're getting a sponsor on? But, you know, what is that? Oh, they're kind of selling out. Maybe this is just a right. hypothetical situation. Now, the challenge for me is to create the language for the, val- the, the, for the value to be expressed to all parties involved. So to those that um, are funding it, this is an, a unique, wonderful crowd full of excitement, of energy, of, of innovative thinking. Right. Um, it is worth investing in this in some way, to, in reaching this crowd and allowing this culture to infiltrate your culture, your culture as an organization, and to inspire your team, your employees, yourself, you know, right. again, right? And then on the other side, for those that are creating, this is a big question in Burning Man right now, is like, as people from Google and things come mm-hmm. in, is it changing it? Well, it's like, if a language can be created that allows the best of the arts and the sciences and that culture of innovation and discovery and exploration and right. playfulness to cross over to often organizations that are a little bit more set in their ways, are a little bit more stagnant, um, are a little bit more in need of creating yeah. a culture of excitement, not least of all to inspire its own product and services and ultimately what it does as a business, but to even maintain in this world of so much attrition and so much loss of your employees they're going to be more inclined to stay if they feel excited 
to stay. Well, you're looking, you're looking at it as an exchange, right? right? Where you see, you know, the value is, yes, there's this audience, there's a captive audience here who loves what we make, mm-hmm. right? And they, and, and they have other interests, right? When you think about Burning Man and who goes, you, you're like, you mentioned earlier, there are executives, uh, rocket scientists, right. you know, some of the most brilliant people on the planet. And yes, you have the dumpy kid from, you know, lots of poor struggling <laughs> artists, you know? Exactly. And, and they often think that the other's the problem, you know? Well, and I mean, and, and, and arguably, that's also why Burning Man has like the, not the, it's not the scholarship program, but it's the low income program. Mm-hmm. Because ideally, the idea of that, right, is get the kid from the hood at that. Mm-hmm. Get the kid from the hood mm-hmm. with no money, right. who's never seen anything science or technology related, and and let him connect with this person Absolutely. from Google, although he may be wearing a tutu and eyeliner. I mean, right. it still, it creates, it creates a very different And even if it's right? like, even if it's, uh, even if it happens like this, where those executives from Google, their first year is maybe just like observing, being yeah. like a spectator, being like, what is this crazy thing in the desert? Right. Inevitably what happens there's is no. midweek, they're like, you know what I'm going to be doing next yeah. year? There's, 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 there's no way that you can, even midweek, that right. they change into the, change And the into truth the, is, if that results in them loving this culture enough that they want to push funding towards it to then enable great inspiration and creativity on the the other side and to like meet and to cry. I mean, that's... And and the the trick is balance, right? Right. The trick is like, no, 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 we pay for this. This is what we want, right? (laughs) Right. But I think think to the point of this conversation also Mm -hmm. is this idea that every subculture reaches like a tipping point, right? Where you look at Comic-Con and it mm-hmm. used to be strictly for the geeks, right? Mm-hmm. And then it became like this whole marketing spectacle. Mm-hmm. And it still has a tremendous, you know, audience, probably even bigger than when it started. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's this a penetration or skateboard culture, right? right? Like, <laughs> sorry, I used that word. I didn't, that is, I know it's hot in here and everything. But, um, toilets, penetration, this is I mean, good show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, there's you know there's always that tipping point where subcultures. Become, I mean, I, I saw a talk that Paul Rodriguez gave mm-hmm. right in at Agenda, which is a trade show for like street culture and fashion and things like that. And he's talking about like I just wanted to skate right, mm-hmm. and then Nike came into his culture, you know, right. in a way and collaborated with him. I think the, I think collaboration is probably the key to mm-hmm. success. I think so. You know, um, you, you, when you and I talked before, you, we talked a little bit about storytelling and narratives, mm-hmm. and you know, even how brands can as we're kind of segueing into mm-hmm. um, <laughs> brands aligning with certain cultures. Um, how do you foresee, you know? brands' abilities to um, to integrate with what you do in, in meaningful ways? Great question. I think that, first of all, there needs to be this layer of trust built, this language, which is an enabling language, which allows a framework for continued innovation to happen. Because so often the pattern is that... Um, as something becomes innovative or cool, how often have you seen this happen? Something becomes innovative or cool, and then it's attempt. There's an attempt to hold it and keep it cool. Yes, you have now become cool, or you've become innovative. Now, stay just stay like that. And as soon as you start putting any sort of strong container on the thing that was previously abundantly free to create and be, be innovative, right? Right. Um, you start killing that creativity. I call it like, you know, I often see this even in social settings uh, where I talk about it in terms of cult- certain cultures. It's like the Salton Sea effect where the Salton Sea was this vibrant ecosystem after uh, Colorado River split and, and filled this inland ocean and they filled it with fish and regattas and communities popped up around it and eventually they fixed the 
the, the river's flow issue, so it cut off the flow of uh, new water, and with no actual natural outlet to the ocean, uh, within some years, within a decade, it became this stagnant, fetid lake where dead fish were... Imagine, you know, these regattas were now like, oh, God, this place stinks, and people, like, <laughs> fled the scene. And so the right. point was, they celebrated how great it was, but without that continued... Uh, nurturing. In, nurturing yeah. of the fresh coming in and, the, like, letting out some of the things that aren't working, um, it stagnated. And so I think that's number one important thing, how to figure out how to create a system that can remain innovative and remain fresh continue to reinvent right um and then sustaining innovation without exactly breaking it right and so then allowing enough trust to happen so that and you know ideally that these uh, organizations ones that i would partner with uh see the value enough to for example i think a great example of this really big success story in this field is um you know the vibe and intel Collaboration, which is the Creators Project. I love Creators Vice, Project. Sorry, Vice and uh, Intel like, Creators. I have an Intel. Yeah. Project. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know about this, Dougie? Dougie Fresh. It's a, a different thing. I'm working. <laughs> um, so yeah, Vice and the Intel. I mean, two very unexpected organizations. Totally unexpected, right? Like, so the no. combination of things that not typically you would think together, but when they meet and find that common ground to create something and allow it, just enough framework for amazing things to happen, but also the freedom. That's not put too many restraints on it. Right. I think that, that's an amazing So I example. hear what you guys are saying about sort of not pairing. You wouldn't think of pairing Vibe and Vice and Intel. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, mean, I definitely wouldn't pair Vibe and Vice. That would be weird. Vice and Intel, right? But if you think of Intel as this company, this is a perfect example of this, right? Intel mm-hmm. is a company. We all kind of know what Intel is, but nobody knows what they... They're not They're not a utility to right, me, right. right? Intel does the chip inside my laptop. Mm-hmm. What better company would would it make sense for Intel to partner with? Because nobody knows who they are, but everybody knows who Vice is, mm-hmm. right? So it actually seems like it would be a, a match made in heaven. Yeah, but I think the problem with, with Intel in that scenario is also kind of like, nobody cares what, <laughs> what Intel, Intel is. is. You know what I mean? But, but like, they'll feel if they're, if they're like supporting this, it doesn't matter even what they do. They're just cool. Right. Like, right. It's a sort of social. Like, yes, cool. but yeah, but right? but even but I'm not when I go to buy a laptop. I'm not checking for the Intel <laughs> processor, right? I, you know, right. I want to know can I do what I need to do on it. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I actually worked on a creators project with Intel, mm-hmm. and and it was it was the same thing. Like we, you know, I I got what they wanted to do, right? We created this whole. I think I told you a little bit like a 3D art projection thing that we debuted at CES a few years ago, right? And it was the same thing. Like it was super cool. People came by, tons of press. You know, I don't know if it made a dent mm. in people wanting to buy or have I brand recognition. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it comes down to the consumer level intent. Like they, you don't go into a, a Best Buy and be like, "Hey, I'm looking for an Intel product," <laughs> right? Like that's right. not that's never going to happen. So where's the value to them? <laughs> I, I just and there's got to be somewhere like on the deeper level of like. First of all, like the awareness of brand, it's mm-hmm. sort of closer on your mind mm-hmm. on the big buyers level. I don't, I don't, I, I don't quite know, but this is something like I'm very intrigued in working out because I'm developing a whole bunch of different proposals that are everything from like you know um, immersive experiences to um, to series. like right now I'm really allowing myself to just get very creative. It, in line with my intention, even more so than you already well, have. Well, so this is the thing that happens, right? If as soon as you you start being static with yourself, even if the thing that you created um, is itself quite dynamic, if you are not still reinventing, constantly giving yourself enough time to get back to the sandbox and observing yourself 
from a, an observer standpoint, being like, okay, is this really? How is this whole thing? Doing? You can quickly start, you know, being your own emperor's emperor, you know, emperor's clothing thing. Yes. Or it's like, yeah, I guess this is, this is what I do. You gotta step back. And so I definitely give myself enough time to creatively write, like, hey, what would this year, next year, look like if this happened? And I'll just like write almost like a little fictional a version of my life. Make a vision board? Yeah. yeah, I do. And in fact, yeah. an early advisor from McKinsey told me, um, write, you know, your three, five, ten year business plan or plan for your life, how it could how it could turn out. Um, even like even more long range than that. And I did that and I came back and he's like, Great, this looks awesome. Now go and do a completely different one. And I was like, What but that was it? <laughs> he's like, nope, just go do it. And I got the value of what he was talking yeah. about. And it was yeah. that just be as creative with your future as you want to be and regardless of what happens, at least you kind of thought about it and you can you can be like, wow, I could turn and turn myself into that next year. That's interesting. Um, and so in, in light of doing that, I've really given myself some time as December of 2013 hit and, and early this year to just really think about some fun stuff I would love to do. Mm-hmm. But now what I used to do was then just start doing it and then at the end be energetically spent, often have it not achieve its full um, realization because uh, I would pursue funding last minute you know, at the end. So instead now I'm creating these interesting future stories really that's what they are that's coming back to narrative here's what i'd like to see happen and then i'm going to be working on that language uh, and which brands which organizations to uh, approach that i feel this could be a beneficial yeah. collaboration with it's interesting that you use the word language a lot mm-hmm. uh, you know because I, I always look at sort of marketers or even like most creative people is like tra- you're translating something into yep. a form that people can digest That's and it. there is like there's a sort of universal language of either experience or just the a commonality like whatever the lowest common denominator is amongst people you mm-hmm. know like there's what f- one two three four of us in this room you know we're all very different very different backgrounds but there's going to be probably a dozen or so really common things that we all speak the same right. language in. Um, this is why like Mindshare has been my passion project because even when, even in hard months that we're like pulling it together as this labor of love of people that all have other jobs, right? Then first of all, you blow people's minds. They say like, Hey, this kept me, this kept me in LA for another five years. I finished my, you know, um, postdoc here because of this, because of your experience. I got married. In fact, this is my child who is because of your throwing I impregnated the my wife at your event. <laughs> Immaculate conception. Mind you. But regardless, so you get all that good vibe stuff, but then you also directly get the value of these amazing minds sharing their, uh, what, what their passion is, what drives them. And, and a year and a half ago, this uh, fellow, Anthony Bott, gave a talk at Mindshare, and it was all about narrative. And it was all about the endless narratives that we are a part of, that we don't sometimes even realize we're a part of someone else's narrative, right? So it's an important thing to question. And then it's an important thing to think about how good your narrative is. Why should anyone care about what you're saying, what mm-hmm. your story is? Right. But in that, not to feel defeatist, to know that you have the power to alter your own narrative, to tell your story differently. Uh, it was such an empowering, interesting talk. Now all I really see is everybody's narratives intersecting and the yeah. ability, if I'm not sort of getting someone on board, not to not like them, because they're not on board is to think of like, oh, how can I tweak my narrative a little bit to be a little bit so better better received? I know? honestly, I, I knew like a couple of days after New Year's, I sent an email out and BCC'd a bunch of people. Right? Sorry, Tamika. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> but it was it was it was basically like a thank you, right? Because I feel like no matter where I go, who I encounter, I pull something from mm-hmm, right. that encounter, that experience. I may be in a situation, I'd be like, oh, such and such did this at this point in time. And it's a quick thought, like mm-hmm. almost subconscious. 
conscious, but it the, what uh, how, we underestimate the value of encounters oh, with yeah. each other. I blew up at a friend. Not it wasn't so bad. Like I'm much more. I'm come from Italian Scottish roots. I've been oh. doing a lot of meditation and yoga to <laughs> sort out this, you know, the passion inside. Mayama, yama, yama, yama. Free yoga. <laughs> so, but my point is that like. Um, <laughs> You know, I sort of blew up a little bit more than I would have liked to at a friend last week. And I emailed him this morning and I just said, you know, because we're still great buddies, of course. I just said, hey, thanks so much for, like, bringing to my attention some of the things I'm still really working on and being a friend enough to press my buttons enough, you know. Because all this week I really thought about what was the root. And by the way, it really wasn't you that was the root behind that emotional reaction. You sort of triggered it at the end. But it really got me thinking about some things that I still am, am working on and, you know, can't wait to see you next time. Squeeze an orange. Bam. That's what it's all about. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll explain that one to you later. It was, uh, um, can I ride in your van? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, it can fit. Can fit five, six, it six has adventurers. So much cool stuff. Nice inside. solar panels, fridge. I mean, wherever you want to go. Tell us about this van because I only I've only seen the outside, and I'm I'm going to Instagram it pretty soon. <laughs> oh, but so this um, is another example of you know twisting together of things to create something new <laughs> and unique. I really think that that. And have you ever murdered anyone in there? Uh, not in the van. It's okay. Not, yeah. It's okay. Not a creep van. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's actually a cool van, but that's that's kind of the allure. Like I want to have a really cool van, and then you want to come see a puppy. Not, not people. Not people. Just <laughs> one one person. <laughs> oh, we should not just. <laughs> yeah. You're all accomplices. I <laughs> know. It's it's actually even funnier when like I also have a puppy in this this very colorful van. It's, it helps that I have a girlfriend. An amazing and it, it gives girlfriend. Me some credibility. Yeah. You know? It's like God, this is a weird guy with a colorful van, but regardless. Um, I've always wanted a sort of remote office and I've always been thinking about what that would look like, what solutions. And finally, a couple of years ago, I got this opportunity to buy an old VW uh, Westphalia uh, camper van, which um, I I managed to uh, save up some money for. And we got this. Me and my girlfriend bought it together. And and then because, you know, you guys don't want your buddy Doug just driving around a brand brown camper van, right? So I crowdfunded. Brown is a horrible color, but yeah. <laughs> not a fan. <laughs> for or so, a car, then. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh oh. Now, now it's turned racial. Seriously, where won't this podcast go? <laughs> Pressing all the buttons here. Innovation crash. <laughs> So I was like, you know, guys, I appealed to my friends and, and appealed to like uh, mindshare community. I was like, you guys don't want me driving around in a brown van. Come on now, let's crowdfund some money so we can have this painted. And so sure enough, like my very well-wishing friends all uh, sourced some funds together for me to have it uh, stripped, primed, and then painted by this great artist, John Park. And uh, so at one of my events, he completely painted this car over the course of a couple of days. Then we had it clear-coated, and, and then there I was driving around this colorful van. So... It was already, that was like a little bit of a return to the hippie-ish days. However, in my mind, I wanted this remote office, so I ended up twisting that old with the new of uh, creating a solar array on the top, a whole sort of control unit inside that powers everything from a fridge to my laptop to a Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, so, you know, anything's right. So, and I have worked now in the middle of nowhere. It's amazing where Verizon has reception, actually, because right. I pulled up on top of like a desert cliff. They're like three bars of 4G reception. It's like, okay, so this is going to be my office today, you know? And, um, and so it's been really fun to, to have that. And I, I do give adventure rides uh, from time to time to, to friends. So if you play your cards right, you might get one. I'm down. It's the best <laughs> van ever. I promise. Um, it comes with a puppy. You're a pretty smooth a guy, right? You're pretty, you're pretty smooth. Uh, when are you most uncomfortable? Ooh, it's a great question. I'm most uncomfortable. I'm firstly definitely most uncomfortable in a feeling of stagnation. You know, I just as soon as I feel 
like things have become rote, a chore, I just start getting very antsy. Um, and this is an interesting thing that I've worked to balance that I remember at one New Year's party um, a couple of years ago, I was feeling antsy and, I, and everyone was just sort of hanging and I was like, I'm going to just go off and explore. And I went off and explored and I found this like beautiful view overlooking uh, all of Los Angeles that was kind of hidden behind this little pathway. And then I was able to go back to my friends and be like, hey guys, you want to see a really cool thing like I found? And they said, yeah, yeah, totally. And so I led them up and that's where we experienced the rest of Halloween and, and sunrise and so in that case, if I hadn't been a little antsy and a little uncomfortable with just doing the same thing, I wouldn't have gone and found this place and then led everybody there for this lovely experience, right? right. So in a way it justifies it, but you need to, I think, strike a balance between your vision for the future and what things could be um, and what you're capable of and where you're not quite fulfilling your ultimate um, abilities in the present with actually being present and happy with what you are, right. you know, mm. and where you are. It's sort of a very interesting kind of place to have a foot in the future, but also being very... Mm-hmm. It's like it's like present. aspiring, but not aspiring from a place of lack. Absolutely. You know, it's perfect. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, so go ahead, getting, you can tweet we're that. We're getting intense. I'm going to tweet that one out. <laughs> you know, like, but isn't that amazing that this mm-hmm. is what we talk about with innovation? I find that lots of people in the tech space and you know, and, and people that are innovative can get in touch with that side of themselves. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard balance. In fact, they need to so much when you're so connected all the time. Yeah. You're so often, you need to know who yourself is. Yeah. And so often you're living in this world that's ethereal. It's like in this digital space, also as entrepreneurial people, you're living in the future. Um, so if you're a digital entrepreneur, technology entrepreneur, you're also often in a digital space in the future. Yes. <laughs> you're coming back to sell. And it's moving super fast. So you're like, you know, it is the constant game to keep up and look at everything else that's happening and right. not look, you know, in the mirror, you know, at the, at the, at the same time. Right. But look in the mirror and not be, and like you said, not from a place of lack, but right. comfortable mm-hmm. with yourself. Yeah, And exactly. that's where just, that's a great example. We even talked the other day about even just spirituality, whatever mm-hmm. that means to you. Um, even... That realm is not untouchable by the wand of innovation. Right. You know, everything is, there's an ability to innovate everything, you know, to take the best of the old and to apply the best of the new for a new opportunity for something to happen. You know what? Worst case scenario, it's not as good. You go back to the old. Best case scenario is that you have created something unique and new. And it's, and that I think comes from, an understanding of abundance, an understanding of uh, definitely the importance of playtime, definitely the importance of we're no longer in school or subject to like this, the strict harshness of whatever scared us as children, whatever gave us an F, whatever labeled us failures or com- coming last, whether it's sports, whether it was physics, whatever. We're no longer there. Now we're it's ourselves that has the ability to limit that or remove that limit and mm-hmm. to just allow ourselves to play. Be like, hey, what would happen if I try to do this and this? Oh, that, right. well, that was disgusting. I'm never going to add, you know, nuts to why don't gum people, again. Why don't know? people play more often? <laughs> well, I think it's, it comes from a place, first of all, of, you know, few people feel like they're adults. That was a time of, you know, that was a childish thing. Now they got to be responsible, you know. So there's definitely an element of that. There's definitely an element of... A, like how it will appear? What if you appear silly, or what if you appear foolish, or what if you fail at what you're doing? Like, there's no, you don't look at any kid and they think that they they failed playtime. Like, you know, what I mean? right, right, <laughs> right. Um, so I think getting back to that uh, again, it's sort of a, a twisting of the old and the new. It's like 
we if we can summon our that childlike sense of wonder for the world and not ever failing at playtime and combine that with the best of what's new, which is ourself with our ultimate new skills, our view yeah. of the world, our understanding of our place in it. Again, it's just a combination of the best things you can summon, you know, at, at will. So I summon my ability. Um, <laughs> speaking of segues. <laughs> Uh, finish you know, it. <laughs> you use that as much as you use that. <laughs> Actually, this is the first. This is the first this is, it just came naturally. Uh, go ahead. See, speaking of segues, Tamika has. Mm-hmm. And take a deep breath. Thank right? you. And, and now exhale, right? And now. Complete this phrase for me. Mm-hmm. The, you see the lights just went down? Love um, it. Innovation to me is. Innovation to me is the combination of the unexpected or um, often just the combination of the unlikely. It's the, it's, it really is the combination of things to create new things. In uh, my own personal projects, I've mixed charity with adventure. I've mixed uh, learning with a party. I've mixed um, engineering with uh, definitely with playtime, you know, and um, I think that this is not a new thing. If you think back to it, one of my favorite arenas for innovation is art and science. It's this combination of those two things that have driven so much, right? And those that have been able to embody it. I mentioned earlier, like Leonardo da Vinci, like Buckminster Fuller, they have learned to embody the very um, essence of innovation in themselves by exploring both of those worlds and pushing the boundaries. You don't, if, if, Buckminster Fuller and Leonardo da Vinci were still alive today, they would not have run out of ideas. Mm. You know, they would still be relevant right. and they would still be creative because they are embodying things that are constantly changing and making new things when applying those two things together, right? Yeah. And so anyway, whatever your field is, any way that you can create both in, ter- in yourself and in your organization and in your products, the ability to continue to innovate through some interesting combination, right. I, I do think that there's really something there. Yeah. And, and deliberately seeking those out and, mm-hmm. and not, like to your point, not getting... And not resting getting, on your laurels. Yeah. You know, not, not getting stagnant. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your mind My with pleasure. us today. Oh, that's good. I'm going to use that one. Yeah. Well done. This is, yeah, thank you. I actually, uh, it was in my notes. For, I was going to say it at the beginning... <laughs> But uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't get to. Um, but no, thank you. Uh, this is great. I, I I feel I feel enlightened somehow. Don't you? Don't you I feel lighter? I do. I feel like better. What about you, Anthony? You feel better? Are you, or were you, were you awake? I think he was asleep. Okay, good. Um, anybody, uh, thank you for uh, tuning in to another episode of Innovation Crush, and uh, we will talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years, one of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. 
A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.